All right, everybody, welcome to BO Boys for Monday, September 27th. Fuck it, it's a raw feed. We're doing it live. I'm Clayton. Yeah, I'm Pat. And Pat, we have a very, let's not even mess around here. We have a very special guest. We got to get right into saying who the special guest is. We can't linger. We can't tease it. We can't let people wonder for too long because they're they're just going to freak out. The special guest is Jeff Bach of Exhibitor Relations Co. Jeff, thanks for doing the show. Guys, it's always a pleasure to be here. This is the greatest box office podcast of all time. And when you ask me to come back every morning when I when I know I'm going to be on the show, I just got a really big smile on my face. I mean, I'm going to admit it, man. You guys, I'm a fan. I'm a fan and I love to be a part of it. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Well, we're uh, a I fan mean, of you. I wish. Yes. Well, I, I wish we could have that same tingle of being guests on our own show. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're never able to cross over to that side. We always are the hosts of our show, but I, I could understand that, that that tingle must be amazing. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you get to have it. It's all about the tingle, guys. You know that. And maybe someday when, you know, a huge corporate entity takes over your show and then mm-hmm. replaces both of you guys, you will have that opportunity. That's something to look forward to. If we're sitting on a pile of money, then yeah, I'll get that tingle every freaking morning. (laughs) Oh, that is something to look forward to. That's great. Oh, cool. So, Jeff, usually we start every episode with Clayton plowing through the top five. He goes from one to five. But whenever you guessed, the special treat for our audience is Jeff Bach. Could you plow through this past weekend's top five? Yes, top five box office from the weekend of September 24th, 2021, coming in at number five, everybody's favorite 90-year-old filmmaker, Clint Eastwood's Cry Macho, stays in at number five with $2 million, dropping 54%. Yeah, that's pretty big, but come on, HBO Max people, come on. Number four, Candyman sticking in the top five at 2.5 million, only a slight 27% drop. Unbelievable stuff, but that's horror for you. Number three, Free Guy at 4.1 million. Are you kidding me? A 19% drop? Who is this guy? But who does he think he is? Deadpool? All right. Number two, Dope Evan Hansen with 7.4 million yes unfortunately for my dear friend Evan Hansen not everybody's into John Hughes movies that are musicals that, that run 2 hours and almost 20 minutes long it's just not for everybody as we can see from that gross and the number 1 film obviously in the top 5 again for the fourth consecutive week Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten rings, yes, with 13.2 million. That's a drop of only 39%. Hey, without any competition, what did we expect? Of course, Shang-Chi was going to be the number one film of the summer. It's, I mean, it's almost at 200 million, you guys. Did anybody call that? No, I, I didn't, I, certainly. I think, Jeff, you did you call that in our summer movie, uh, summer preview episode back in the spring? Did you call Shang-Chi as number one? No, I probably didn't. But I'll take it. If you remember it that way, I will take that. I feel like I remember it that way, though. There was also a chance that we all pick Suicide Squad as the number one. So <laughs> we, sure. we need to to all forget that episode if that's the case. <laughs> Well, so Shang-Chi now is the number one domestic earner of the summer. It's got $196.4 million, higher than Black Widow. 
and it's having these small drops. Jeff, what do you, what is your thoughts on on Shang Chi and and its and its run here at the box office? I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk about well, this is all because Shang Chi is exclusive to theaters and 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 not on Premier Access like the other Disney films this summer. You know, Jungle Cruise, Black Widow, Cruella. Um, but to me, it's more about, I mean, if, if I'm talking about Shang-Chi versus Black Widow, I really enjoyed Shang-Chi. I like Black Widow, but I really enjoyed the world building of Shang-Chi. You know, it was something we really hadn't seen before. And that's what, you know, a lot of these great Marvel movies that introduce us to a character, that's what they do. Whereas, you know, Black Widow was a bookend on not just a character, but an entire chapter of Marvel. It was almost like a plus one. Uh, at the end of of what happened with Avengers, and and to me that's just you know it's 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 a prequel and and kind of lacked a lot of dramatic tension. I mean, Shang Chi could have died, and we wouldn't you know. I mean, obviously it's he's not going to do that, but that element is in play, right? Because we don't know the outcome. Whereas Black Widow, we kind of we already knew her end game, right? Um, so mm. what Shang Chi is doing is building up the Marvel Universe again, right? To get to the next Avengers in three or four years, and I think. That's one of the major reasons. Obviously, it's a great film, too. It's a, one of the major reasons why it's doing so well worldwide is because guess what? It's a great film. Yeah, I think that's yeah. something that is forgotten because we, we do talk about numbers. We talk about what demo is going to come out and who's going to support what for what reason. And at the end of the day, all I've heard from people who've gone to see this film is that it was a good film that they liked. And that is the most powerful thing you can have in a film if you want people to go and see it. Yeah. And it's like you said, Jeff, it, you know, Black Widow is a prequel. This is a great sign for Marvel's future because it's a brand new character and it showed that people want to continue going on this journey, you know, with the MCU. They, they, they basically there was a there was a chance it was a small chance but there was a chance that audiences at the end of you know Endgame and now Black Widow they were gonna say we get it we had enough we like the old characters the old characters either died or got TV shows or you know moved on to other careers and were good and it seems like the audience they they didn't say that they said you know what Shang Chi's a new guy let's go hang out with him and see what he's up to so that that's. That's a that it was a big testing ground for the MCU and people like the new stuff. So that's great. Yeah, it is great. And it's also, you know, a testament to what they're building, you know, and we all know that even Captain America and Thor didn't have huge openings when they began either. Um, and and Shang-Chi is is I mean, he's not even a B-list character. He's like a C or D-list character. Marvel is reaching in deep and pulling out these characters and having the same success as as you would with a Thor or Captain America. These characters that everybody knows. And that tells me above anything else that this brand is so strong. Obviously, it's the strongest thing in the movie business right now. Um, and there's really no comparison. Do I but, you know, do I think they left money on the table by not putting it on Premier Access? Yes, absolutely. I do, because I still think there are a lot of people out there that just won't go to the movie theaters yet. They're just not comfortable, you know, and if if Black Widow can 
rack up 125 million. And I don't know the breakdown of that, how much was in North America, but I've heard about 100 million of that was in North America. I would say they probably missed out on at least 100 million. Um, and, and there's no guarantees they're going to make that up. I mean, I know um, Shang-Chi is at 363 million worldwide right now. But, you know, Marvel films are used to getting 500, 600 million worldwide. So th there's a lot of work left to do in the theatrical business as an overall entity. You know, when we look at what Shang-Chi was able to do, while it's impressive, it's nowhere near where we were before the pandemic still. Yeah. And so this film is going to go to Disney Plus free for Disney Plus subscribers on November 12th. So that's, I think, part of a some sort of Disney Plus day or something that they're doing on there. So that that it's interesting because there's not really any uh, information on when the Blu-ray is coming out or what wh how it's going to be priced on PVOD when it goes to PVOD. So it's it's curious that they're they're still using Shang Chi as an experiment. I know that's the word that they hate to hear, but they're still <laughs> using it as an experiment in a lot of ways, and uh, that's that's interesting. It's interesting what Disney is doing. They're they're just trying everything. Yeah. So Jeff, we're gonna get that Dear Evan Hansen. I know a lot of people are are listening to this podcast probably for the first time because Dear Evan Hansen's in the title of the episode. We're gonna get to it, but before we do. I, I do want to ask you about where you are on the day and date release schedule. You know, I feel like when we talked in the spring for the summer movie preview, you were a full on day and date. Give it to everyone on when it comes out in the format that they want to get it. Has has your view on that changed at all? You know, and I set it up by saying I think we're where the B.O. boys at right now are. We still believe in a in a, uh, a theatrical window, but a very shortened one. You know, I, I think what we would advocate for is get it onto PVOD and specifically PVOD. I, I think the HBO Max day and date stuff has, has been kind of a disaster, but get it onto PVOD within a week or two of release. So that's where the BO boys yeah. are at. What, what is your outlook on how day and date has gone you know, with the summer releases and, and where you think it should and could go. Well, let me just first start by saying, obviously, the B.O. boys are geniuses because that's about where I'm at. You know, mm -hmm. that seven to 10 days, because let's be honest, after that second weekend, especially with a normalized marketplace, you're running up against blockbuster after blockbuster or just big films with with new marketing campaigns that you cannot hold up. You cannot expect to hold up in a healthy marketplace, honestly, longer than two weeks. I mean, it's very rare outside of that. Yeah, Shang-Chi has been number one for four weeks, but look at the marketplace, you guys. The Dear Evan Hansen at 7.4 million is the highest gross, the highest debut film in a month outside mm -hmm. of Shang-Chi. That just proves that there's just nothing else out there for, for general audiences, for mass audiences to partake in. And I, and I think that when we look at day and day release and what happened this summer, obviously, is it was a cause of, of a confluence of many things, but obviously mostly the pandemic. And, and honestly, a lot of these studios wanted this information. They've been wanting it for a long time. They've wanted to do this. Let's make no mistake. Universal was going to do this with Tower Heist back in the day. Yep. And the theater owners wow. revolted. 
right? I mean, there was going to be marches and protests and tomato throwing. Uh, this They would not have it, you know, but that didn't mean that the studios didn't want that data. They desperately wanted it. And now you, you saw it. You saw what happened in the pandemic. Almost every single studio in some way or another tried out something that bypassed theaters, right? Or at least um, was day and date with Paramount Plus or HBO Max or, you know, Disney's Premier Access. Now, What's interesting about this, that, 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 that there are so many different levels and we've seen so many different things, which ones are going to stick, which ones are, are going to be left uh, behind, like the pet rock. Um, these are the things that are I find really fascinating. Um, the fact that Disney, above all, is able to charge $30, $30. Nobody was even close to that. I think 20 was was basically what Universal was selling Trolls World Tour for and most most other studios are at $20. That's their price point because that's what their product is worth. Disney realizes they have a product that's worth more than other studios, right? So how Disney goes is really, I think, how the other the other studios may not follow Disney, but that's only because they don't have the product to, right? Mm -hmm. I think that they would if they could. Like F9 probably could have got $30 a pop. There are certain films that... And I think we've talked about this, you guys. There are certain films, all the rules cannot apply to all the films, right? And that should be true of releases. You know, when we talk about an opening weekend for a film like The Card Counter or Blue by You, you know, these indie films, you shouldn't be paying the same price as a Shang-Chi. You just shouldn't. They're two different products, right? And that's right. what's always confused me about distribution, that they're not willing to take, they're not willing to really try something new in that department. Variant pricing is something that not only could work, it will work. And I think it would work wonders for, for these different films. Uh, again, like a film like Cop Shop, you know, if, if I'm going to see that and there's nobody in the theater and it pops up on the screen as nobody's there, why am I paying $20? You know, maybe I should get a discount because I'm the only one showing up for this film. We can do these things. You know, this is all computer right. based now. You know, all of these variant prices should work. You know, you want me to go to a Sunday matinee while everybody's watching football? Well, then make it worth my time. You know, change the price point. Day and date um, is just the tip of the iceberg of how the industry needs to change and adapt uh, based on what consumers want. Right. Because that's what we're talking about. Ultimately, we want to keep these consumers in our pipeline in terms of entertainment. And to do that, we have to work with them and, and work with them in ways that really address their concerns and their wants and their needs, not the other way around. This isn't the 80s where you just set a group of show times and you say, hey, show up when you can. Those are the times. That's it. It's proven, I think, without a doubt that day and date, you know, for some films is is probably still going to be an essential part of what studios work with in the future. It's just going to, it's going to depend on a title to title basis. But I think you're right for these blockbusters. You got to go 10 days, I think at least two weeks, then put it on PVOD. I mean, you know, if Netflix really wanted to get in the game, they could put every episode of Stranger Things out yes. on the weekend and yes. then drop it on Monday on Netflix. They would make 20, 25 million per episode I guarantee at the box office. I guarantee it. You are, Jeff, yeah, you are speaking Pat's language. This is something Pat <laughs> yeah. has been beating the drum about for. I, I, I don't understand why HBO doesn't premiere the first episode of Succession in 3000 screens. Yes. On the on the Friday night. 
uh, Friday and Saturday night, it's on 3000 screens. And on Sunday, it's on HBO. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it blows the mind. Like theaters and studios can work together, I think, even better than before if they just think about the product that they have and are willing to take chances. I mean, theaters are already showing weird stuff like operas and sporting events, mm-hmm. right? Like they're, they've already done that. Um, yep. Through Fathom events and different the different entities, there's no reason why this cross pollination can't actually build both brands. It's the same way when Downton Abbey, which came out of nowhere, I mean, it, you know, it really was a staple for these old people, <laughs> you know, older people. Yeah. But the fact that it crossed over and went to, they said, hey, you know what, we're going to make a movie for the fans, then we're going to put it in theaters. That's like reverse engineering how it usually works, right? It's yep. it, it usually works the opposite, but it just showed you like if, are you kidding me? If Game of Thrones said, hey guys, let's get the band back together. Let's do one. Let's throw it in theaters. Do you know how much money Warner Brothers would make off of that thing? Are you kidding yep. me? That opening weekend could be near a hundred million for yeah. a two hour film, you guys. I mean, yeah. they're just giving it away when they're giving you an hour every, every I, week. I- I also love your idea that you mentioned uh, uh, about variable pricing, you know, and, and not having every movie in the theater have to cost the same. Every movie on PVOD costs the same. And that idea of when you're looking to reserve your seat online for certain movies, have it be, you know, eight dollars or make your best offer. You know, <laughs> if it's if it's a card counter and you're the only one in the theater yeah, let's do some negotiating. Exactly. You know, it's it's the same business model, the same distribution model that you have uh, uh, in big cities. Per, per, people are probably familiar with this. When there would be uh, a bootleg DVDs, someone would have a blanket out in a highly trafficked area in Times Square, you know, downtown, and they'd have a blanket and they'd have all these bootleg DVDs. And it would say $5, but you could negotiate with them. You know, if it's a, a a bootleg DVD of Armageddon, Armageddon's already on cable, you could talk them down to a dollar. And and I do think that is where we need to be with some of these like third weekend of a movie. You know, you want to get people in the theater, make your best offer well, Playmo- for, for, to be the only one in the theater. Playmobil tried a variable pricing model. Uh, right. It, what is that last year? I mean, it feels like that might have been two years ago. It was, I think, fall of 2019. Okay, so eight was, years ago. It was then. early B.O. Boys, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so that was an interesting model. And it's unfortunate that movie did not do a significant box office enough to understand how that played out and where people paid for what. But yes, this kind of opposite surge pricing, right? So you would have, yes. this is the maximum you'll pay. So if you're in New York City, the maximum that you're going to pay for a standard film, say that's $18. That's the maximum mm-hmm. you'll pay for your ticket, no matter what. But then, like you said, depends on how many people are there, how close it is to showtime. If they want to pack this theater, they drop the price. Yes. And, and then you pack that theater. And then what do people do when they feel like they got a deal? When they feel like, oh, I got into this movie for $8. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy a bigger popcorn. I'm yes. going to get a bigger soda. You know what? I'm yes. going to get some candy. I'm going to get some pretzel bites and all of a sudden you're the 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 this uh the cinema who was going to make no money on this on this showing is swimming in the lucrative food money the concessions yep. money right that's what it is if you want to draw people in take that cut you know on the ticket 
and then make it up in these ancillary. That's I mean, yeah. that's just such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, tell me you sell it. You, you sell a T-shirt uh, at the concessions that said, I just saved ten dollars <laughs> on uh, negotiating my ticket. And you sell that shirt for $20. Well, and you have a T-shirt for every single numerical value that you could save. So you have yeah. all these different SKUs and you're selling these. I saved eight sixty-seven, And people are walking around yeah. and they're looking, hey, man, hey, what movie did you see? Oh, Cry Macho, you saved eight sixty-seven. Good for you, buddy. Right, right. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I think, I think also I'd even taken a step further. Oh, nobody wants to sit in the front row? Those seats are two dollars. I love a step Boom. further. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Front row is so, f- suddenly sold out. Front row is suddenly the place to be. And then right. once that becomes the place to be, then you boost the price on that because you realize, oh, all these kids want to be in the front row. It's the new thing. We're going to charge twenty five bucks to sit in the front row and they'll buy it because it's the new thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this. These theaters. I mean, listen, the lesson of this year is the theaters and the studios have to be more nimble have to uh, uh, change up the pricing, change up the releasing. So I think, yeah, we're all pretty much on the same page that for big, big movies, there needs to be a short window. But like two weekends is when a normal huge movie is going to make the majority of its money. So you could do PBOD after. I mean, the Universal 17 Days seemed like one of the more sensible approaches. I know they've basically gotten off of that because they are trying to prop up Peacock. Yeah. Um. But that did seem to be close to the wheelhouse. So getting back to this past weekend, um, Dear Evan Hansen came in number two, made $7.4 million. It is not on any streamer, right? This was theatrical only. No, but it's going to be a 17-day window. And okay. yes, so it's not on any streamer, but Universal is going to put drop it on PVOD very, very soon. I wouldn't be so surprised Jeff, if this doesn't actually maybe drop in 13 days. Yes. Yeah. Well, here, I mean, I guess our my take on it is, I mean, it's definitely higher than what we predicted last week. Clayton and I were looking at this as a low single digits, two or three million Whoa. dollar opening, Whoa. perhaps. Um, we underestimate, but you know what? The B.O. Boys... Went to see this film over the weekend. Yes. We made a we made a BO trek to see this. And I will say, we're not going to go over the quality. The film was better than we thought. The lead performance is everything that you would expect uh, from from the, you know, from Twitter. They nailed it on this one. But don't don't ever give I Twitter s- credit. I, I'll, I don't <laughs> edit this show out, but I'm going to beep that. Okay. <laughs> Facebook. The people on no, Facebook. No, that's well, even worse. People on Facebook probably like, all right, for Reddit, no social media. On Reddit, not, they knew what, Reddit Reddit knew it. what was up. Reddit yeah. nailed it. And But I will say there were people in this crowd who obviously were fans of this show, and there were teenagers who had a lot of emotional investment in this property. And I could see why this overperformed the B.O. Boys uh, uh, prediction. Though 7.4 million, Jeff. Is is this where you had this movie pegged? Do you feel like this is a a good opening for this or, or the studio two years ago when they greenlit this, they yeah. maybe thought this is a blockbuster? Yeah, obviously you don't you don't ever want to open in single digits, I think, mm-hmm. unless obviously you are a shoestring budget. This is this is a twenty six million dollars a film that it when I, I I guys I went to it. I'm gonna be honest, I went to it last night. 
I was, hmm. you know, they say it was only in theaters and I was lonely in theaters because there was only like two other people there. One was a grandma and one, actually there was two other people. There was three people total. Two other people were making out in the back seats all the way, kind of right next to me. So I could hear oh, this smack, smack, smack. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, nice. um, but I'm here by myself. Um, and I, I actually, again, I liked the film. I actually liked the film. I, I did too. go mm-hmm. in thinking anything really because I didn't I didn't listen to the critics on this one I just I wanted to go in with as little knowledge about the film as possible and it worked for me you know I I, I love the direction of this film it felt to me like a John Hughes film that was also mm-hmm. a musical and I like that that to me I dig that kind of film you know but I can see why most of the people when they heard it's a musical and it's two hours and 20 minutes long they are not going to see this. It doesn't matter how good it is. So I agree right. with you. I had this pegged at about seven. So, I, you know, I mean, that's pretty right on, right? Nailed but, it. Nailed it. You know, Nailed yeah. It. But but the thing is, um, I, I still felt that that was low. I was like, you know, there were a lot of people out there again on Twitter saying, no, obviously very fan, fans of this IP, right? Saying it's going to do 30, it's going to do 35 million. And you just knew that was not possible. I mean, this barely opened better than Cats, but it did open better than cats. So Evan and Hansen fans out there, you always will have that. We open bigger than the hundred million dollar production of cats. That's big. Well, that's, that's th- huge. I mean, that is, that is where, uh, uh, the BO boys, uh, made our mistake is we actually use cats as the comparison. And our thought was cats is so much bigger of a property, <laughs> been around so much longer. There's more cats fans out there, but I guess the thing is, Cats came out after probably many, many Cats fans had passed on from this earth over the decades. So <laughs> yes. Dear Evan Hansen had a younger, more alive possible fan base, even though they didn't, over the course of history, have as many fans. That's where we made the mistake. Yeah, like, yeah. And, and well, because I am not schooled in in Broadway knowledge. I need to do my homework because I had never heard the songs. I knew that this was a big show. And... I went to this film, and I, like you, Jeff, like this film, and now having seen it and hearing the songs and the sto- and seeing the story, know how this could have such strong resonance with teenage young yes. audiences because it is an open wound. It is emotional terrorism. There is, there is, yeah. This movie is <laughs> meant to make you cry, and I, it was yeah. edging me the whole time. And I understand why this is such a resonant show with people. So therefore, I would have probably gone higher if I knew the songbook and I knew this kind of fervent love for this film and what it inspires in people. And I don't think people get that same connection to Cats. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. As a Cats, I would disagree, but... (laughs) it did beat cats. I I, I, I yeah. can never I can never live that down. That Dear Evan Hansen opened bigger than cats. I will I will admit that. But so. but also let's look at the history of because Anthony D. Alessandro on Deadline wrote a, a good and we can talk about this too. He wrote about whether or not this film should have gone exclusively to streaming, and he and at the end of the day he said no, and I agree with him, and we'll get into those. But what he he listed out a few of these big big shows that had adaptations rents being a huge one a huge i mean for 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 kids my age like my older sister loved rent and mm. that movie only made 29 million dollars domestic the producers smash hit smash 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 hit 2005 the producers made 19.4 phantom of the opera only made 5.1 5, i'm sorry 
And then Evita only made $50 million. So these kind of films actually don't do well. They rarely break out. And in the Heights, of course. And in the Heights, a- yeah. Is, uh, we don't know, I don't know what the domestic cum is, but it opened to 11. So the thing with this is that th- th- these, these films rarely ever do well. I mean, Into the Woods, I guess, did very well. But it's always a crapshoot when it comes to Broadway adaptations, even of the mm-hmm. hugest shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that this cost, I mean, honestly, guys, like uh, like we said, I think we are all in agreement. We like the movie, but it shouldn't have cost $26 million. I look at those right. sets, and I look at what they did. I'm like, this should have cost like $10 million. You know, that would have right. been profitable. You know, that right. there's just... There's a disconnect, I think, because some, sometimes you see a Broadway show and you're like, I, I want to make it huge. Uh, I'm directing this. And I'm going to just make it a showstopper. But the, this didn't call for that because the songs were so intimate. He was singing uh, to you, mm-hmm. you know, into the camera. Right. And it didn't you know, people didn't jump out and sing and dance. And there weren't these big production numbers behind him. I think there's maybe one scene where that kind of happened. But really, they were just in the background doing their thing. So. This wasn't the type of movie that needed to be 20, even $26 million is a, is a lot. I can see cats costing a hundred because of, I mean, just that cat hair alone, yes. right? right? All those, those right. hairballs, they're, they're expensive, man. Mm-hmm. That CGI right. is expensive. You didn't need any CGI here, you know? Right. Um, right. I, I would have liked it scaled down even more. Uh, that would have been like, like say, um, you know, the film eighth grade. You know, that that kind of intimacy really, I -hmm. think those these two films connect with, you know, this generation more than any others that I've seen. Um, And you don't need a lot of money to do that. Uh, Again, we could talk about the performance, but in in a lot of ways, I think it probably works for a lot of these crybabies. Sorry. No. What I meant to say is emotionally intense people. You know what I mean? Yeah. and and in a way that that worked for me, even there were there were times when I was like, oh, God, please don't cry again. Please don't. Please don't. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but but the, you cannot deny the connection that that this film has probably to a lot of people. And that's the same thing with musicals. And we talk if we talk about the longevity, the evergreen property that this has, it probably will end up being a success because it, like you, Clayton, I didn't know the the songs, but I was singing them or at least humming them because I didn't really remember the words long after the show ended. In fact, when I woke up this morning, I was still, I was like, what am I humming? I'm like, oh, I'm humming Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. You know, that's how things get, get their hooks in you. You know, mm-hmm. you start with an earworm and then you just say, God, you know what? I think I really like that film, you know? Um, you know, yeah, it's not Grease. It's not Mamma Mia. But like you said, Clayton, a lot of these films aren't. They're they're going to be they're going to touch people very deeply, but they're not going to touch a lot of people. It, right. Well, uh, oh, sorry, Pat, you go. Well, I was just going to say, and you know what? For a lot of these musicals, the films are almost another. Uh, they're another piece of merch for the original production. Mm-hmm. You know, they are the same way DVDs and Blu-ray and all that are another ancillary stream for a movie. The movie itself is another long-term stream for the for the dear Evan Hansen machine. Yeah, and they never in some of these kids in the stacks, they mm-hmm. never got to see Ben Platt right. on Broadway doing this show. This is a time capsule. Now it's mm-hmm. a time capsule a little past its 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 <laughs> sale date with with Ben Platt, but we you know we don't want to beat that dead horse. But the thing with this. And this is where we want to talk about the streaming aspect of this is that 
Anthony Alessandro said he didn't think that this should go streaming, that it should do what it did, go out there, make the money it can in theaters, be available to Universal to sell to different markets so it doesn't just get buried like he uses the example of The Prom, a movie that was on Netflix that dropped star-studded. I mean, compared to this film that, you know, this film had, well, Amy Adams. No, it yeah. had it, it, Amy Julia Adams and Julia Moore. Yeah. Moore. So, so, but, but I mean, that, I mean, Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep were in the prom. And that is a film no, I mean, that nobody speaks about, has no <laughs> cultural impact because it just went purely on a streamer and it's living there. If Evan Hansen is going to be able to go on uh, PVOD, it's going to be able to uh, be a Blu-ray, it's going to be able to go to foreign markets, it's also going to be able to play on cable. It's going to be able yes. to play in, in places where kids are going to be able to watch it over and over and over again. It's going to have a cultural impact, and I do think this is going to be a film that uh, is going to have like a cultural tale to it when all of the mm -hmm. let's goof on Ben Platt stuff falls to the wayside, because I think it right. is really resonant. So I think by going to the theaters, even for a short window, it definitely made the right choice. Because if this film drops on a streamer, it you know it goes to Peacock, it's, it's gone. It's gonna be gone forever. It's the Cinderella movie that dropped on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago that no one will ever talk about. <laughs> That's no generation that Cinderella. Right. Yeah. But that's right. because another thing about Prom and Cinderella, when you compare it to Dear Evan Hansen, and I know this is subjective, but we, the three of us have watched a lot of movies in our lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe too many movies, right? And so we kind of know what a good movie is and what a bad movie is. And, uh, you know, hey, Prom and Cinderella may have their fans, but Dear Evan Hansen reaches out and really touches you, despite whether I had seen it first at home or in the theater. It really touches you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I it does in a in a in a in a good way. Um, and I think it's it that's probably why it was made, and that's probably why they put twenty six million into it, is because they they really believed in the material. Sony sold off Cinderella because why? Well, because they didn't really believe in it. Yeah. Like, why right. else do you sell it? Prom was, I mean, hey, we got all these great actresses. We're gonna make it. That's the reason they made it the seed of what Dear Evan Hansen is, it's probably, and I don't know this, but I, if if I was to make something like this, it would be because I went through something like this, you know, and a lot of people go through a, a, a situation that Dear Evan Hansen did where you just feel bullied or the world doesn't understand you. Um, and that, that's a very powerful place to begin a story. Whereas Cinderella has been done to death and prom, well, I still don't know what the hell it was. You know what I mean? And you never will. Uh, and you don't yeah. need to know because it has zero <laughs> cultural cachet whatsoever. Because yeah. it's just another movie on Netflix in a constant stream of content from Netflix. And I got to say, I, I'm I'm really glad that we were able to have a Dear Evan Hansen conversation <laughs> and we all in the end like this movie. Mm -hmm. and, yes. and I think there's a lot of Dear Evan Hansen fans who tuned into the B.O. Boys today, not knowing what to expect. And they're like, please, please don't 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 make fun of my Dear Evan Hansen. It's the most important thing in the world to me. I don't know who these B.O. Boys are. <laughs> I don't know who Jeff Bach of Exhibitor Relations Co. is. But, but I got to listen to this and they are probably so happy that in the end, listen, the movie didn't do well, but the three of us liked it fine. Yeah. So, so don't add us, bros. Don't add us. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or I guess do add us yeah. because you agree. That's, you know, everyone says don't add us, but add us if you if you agree. 
Don't add us if you are mad. Um, all right. So is there anything else that we want to talk about in the past, whether it's this top, uh, the, the movies that came out this past weekend or any final summer thoughts before we do our huge fall 2021 preview? Uh, we probably on cry macho or obviously free guy has been a phenomenon. Jeff, anything you want to say about this slate of movies? I just, let's try to forget September outside of Shang-Chi. I think that Mm -hmm. would probably be best for all box office people Mm -hmm. because it was just such an onslaught of poor films opening with, with, you know, again, some of these films are great. Some of them will be found out, but, and I'm sure there's some people that love, you know, Blue Bayou and the card counter and the eyes of Tammy Faye. But for for general audiences, they rejected all of these films. Anything yeah. that Hollywood was dishing out in September was just rejected, you know. And that's yeah. why I think we're all excited about fall because we can erase that nasty box office taste that's in our mouths because this really is summer part two starting next weekend. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's it's like when 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 you that you heard a lot of, you know people would say uh, forty is the new thirty and that was a big thing or fifty is the new thirty five or you know sixty is the new thirty eight and a half all that kind of stuff but I gotta say fall is the new summer this this is our summer movie season I think you look back at that fall uh, slate and it was a lot of experiments it was a lot of movies that. The studios were not very proud of. They weren't high on and they kind of dumped them and and let people operate on them. The fall slate looks like these are these are the real deals. Yeah. So it's the summer. It's the summer, but bring a sweater. Yes. Yes. Which is I mean, that is great for me. Because I'm a fall weather guy and I'm a summer movie guy. So oh, man. Summer movies in the fall. It's it's this is my year. Yeah, this is this is a true Indian summer. I think that we mm-hmm. can, can we still say that a Native American summer. I, I don't even know how we can say that, but I think everybody knows what we're saying. Right. We and just we're, of course, referencing that uh, that uh, Alan Arkin movie. From yes, the 90s. of course. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So let's take a look this weekend. I mean, the the big one is opening. This is one that. I think a lot of us had pegged as uh, this was good. Venom was going to open at some point in July, right? Early on, was that the original release got, uh, date? It was going to be in July. My head is still spinning the number yeah. of times things got changed. So I, I can't remember. I just know that at one point it was supposed to be late September, which honestly would have been a great choice for Sony. Right. In fact, they probably should have opened it at this last weekend because they would have had a full weekend to itself. I mean, yeah. Dear Evan Hansen wasn't going to do, it wasn't going to cross a lot of those barriers in terms of audiences, but then they would have had two weeks, another week before Adam's family and many states of New York. Not that those provide a lot of competition, but any competition is some competition, you know? Well, I mean, looking at October, so let, let's start with it. Just, this is what October looks like in terms of big movies. This Friday, October 1st, we got Venom, Let There Be Carnage and The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, which is the Sopranos prequel, Day and Date. Those are opening Friday. The October 8th is the new Bond movie, No Time to Die, is finally coming out. October 15th, you got Halloween Kills and The Last Duel with Matt Damon. And then October 22nd, you've got Dune coming out domestically. So that's October as far as big, big movies. Jeff, I throw to you first. Of those big movies I mentioned... 
what would you what would be your domestically clear number one you I, know I, which yeah I, I feel like it's between bond and venom right but w- do you feel one is really strong right now yeah i mean it, it's got to be venom I mean, I can't see, I mean, we're talking about the Marvel brand and it doesn't matter to most audiences, whether that's Sony or Disney, or even if it's universal with the Hulk, you know what? That brand has been so strong, so consistent, even throughout the pandemic. Yeah. I'm not saying that Venom 2 is going to open at 80 million, but I am saying that it wouldn't surprise me if it opened at 60 or 70 million because those fans that that exact audience that that film is made for are the ones that have been propping up the box office throughout the pandemic. They've been going to all the superhero films, all the horror films. And guess what? This is a superhero horror film. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you guys, this is everything that people that are actually going to theaters want. So it doesn't matter how good it is. I can already tell you the Rotten Tomatoes score without even looking is 32%, right? It doesn't matter. This type of film, just like most horror films, audiences don't care. They just want to be a part of this. And it's true madness that most most critics, let's be honest, most movie critics aren't going to like this type of film. They didn't like the first film and it still opened at 80 million domestic. Um, This was this is yes, Bond is going to be tight. It's going to be big. It looks like a great addition to the canon, but I just don't think it can compete right now with what Marvel is dishing out. Very interesting. I mean, you you threw out a possible opening weekend of 65. The first one did open around 80. I mean, is there a chance that this actually does uh, wind up as the biggest opening weekend we've seen yet? Like, could it hit 90? Could, yes. Is, is there that buzz for Venom? It's a, it's a sequel to a well-liked movie that did just come out two years ago. So it is that usually this is the movie in the series that does the best. Yeah, it could. It certainly could pop that. And that's the what I like about it is that, yes, all the demographics that are going to movies right now will want to see this. Plus, it's Marvel. Plus, the first one was actually pretty well received by fans. And it hits that, you know, teenagers are very fickle and we know this and it's very difficult to get them to go to anything. But if you tell me a teenage boy that doesn't want to see Venom 2, I'll say that he is a replicant. He is not even real. Every, every teenage kid wants to see this film. It's going to be mm-hmm. part of their conversation, you know, around school. And, hey, did you see what Venom did? Oh, man, that cat is crazy. You know, it's PG-13. Right. Sony's just doing everything right with this franchise. And, you know, they got Tom Hardy. You guys, Tom Hardy, you know, he's the shit. Let's just be yep. honest. You know, they got Michelle Williams. Who in the right mind would think that Michelle Williams would have said yes to this, much alone the sequel to this, right? And then they got yep. a great director. You know, in Andy Circus this time. So, I, yes, no, it wouldn't surprise me if this hit 80 million, if this became the biggest opening of the uh, pandemic era. I, it just it honestly, it just wouldn't surprise me. Clayton, what well, do you, you think? Well, you also have a great value add in Woody Harrelson, one of the best value adds in Hollywood. And I agree. I mean, I am I would give Venom, Let There Be Carnage the upper hand against Bond only because the oldsters are still a question mark. You know, the mm, oldsters yeah. are not coming out and Bond is an oldster franchise. Now it is, you know, it they're all demographics. They're big movies. People love Bond. But I do think that a lot, a lot of fans of Bond are in that oldster age group that are just sitting at home and not coming in. So I do think that will 
give Venom the edge when it comes to the biggest opening. And yes, this mm. movie was supposed to open in June, June 25th originally, just to go right. back there real fast. But yeah, so I would give yeah. Venom, I'd give Venom the, at least for this crop of movies, I'm going to give Venom the upper hand. Yeah, I think we're on the same page that Venom will win October. Um, and he's got that tongue. I mean, Venom is <laughs> it's like Deadpool in that he's been memefied. He's, you know, he's in that that world where there's a lot of dancing gifts of Venom. And that's the kind of advertising that you don't have to pay for. Where you don't Bond isn't used that way. You know, there's not a lot of memeing of Bond online, not a lot of like Bond animations that end TikTok videos. So you're not getting that sort of free promotion that Venom is getting right now. So I, yeah, that's the edge. I mean, looking at the other big October movies, where are we on Halloween Kills, October 15th, where the big announcement with this movie is they're going day and date. Universal's going day and date where this movie is in theaters, getting a wide release, but it's also on Peacock. And <laughs> Peacock. Yeah, it's, Clayton, it's not going to make a difference. I mean, I'm uh, upset. I, I'm upset about that because I think it diminishes Mike Myers what, and Halloween as a brand to be associated with Peacock, even though I understand right. that that's its, <laughs> you know, that's its corporate master. I think this film will still open huge. That trailer, the trailers I've seen are friggin' awesome. It feels like this is the movie that's going to do huge. I think the third movie might suffer because I do get a feeling that they're going to get into the whole. Who is Mike Myers? Where did he come from? What's the mythology? Which always makes movies bad. Yeah. In the third movie, and they're going to get to it in the second movie, but they're not showing enough of it to make me not want to see this film. So I think this is going to be huge. I think right now I see tracking 35 to 55. I think this will go over 55. I think people are chomping at the bit. The freaks are going to be off the leash and going yeah. to see Halloween Kills. Yeah, that's the thing about Peacock. I mean, we all know we we don't know anybody or won't admit that we know anybody that actually subscribes. I mean, aren't we all free subscribers to Peacock, right, guys? I, I am. Mean, yes. This, OK, I, I pay for it. Oh, Pat. I pay for it. Pat. I'm a I'm a I'm a, a, I'm, a I'm a real subscriber. To OK, Peacock. OK. So I, I didn't want to speak for everybody. He's got to see but that I, girl. But I'm disgusted. Okay. I'm disgusted about it. Yeah. OK, I'm okay you are disgusted. I am. <laughs> I, 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 and I still, when I see the poster for Halloween where it says in theaters and also streaming on Peacock as a Peacock subscriber, <laughs> that makes me look down upon this movie, even as a subscriber. So I could only imagine with people like you guys who don't even subscribe to with how this, that yeah. makes you feel. It, it, the thing is, I mean, the last Halloween opened it, you guys, $76 million. Jeez. Are you kidding me for an wow. R-rated horror film? Are you kidding me? Of course, Peacock would want it, this to be part of their their new launch because they don't have anything. You yeah. know, you can only watch Friends rerun so many times, right? Well, Friends you know? is on HBO Max, so they don't even have that. Oh, Jesus, they don't no. even have that going for them now? No, okay. they have got The, the office. office. Okay, and they got oh, you're right. Girls you're right. Okay. And See, I don't even know Emma. what they have, guys. I don't even know what they have. I'm sorry. I don't watch it. I'll admit it. I just don't watch the Peacock. But the, the Punky what Brewster I do know, reboot. Okay. Again. Yep. Nope. 
that missed me. $76 million opening for this original Clayton's Right. This thing's going to be big. I don't care if it got shitty reviews out of some film festival. Nobody cares about that. No true horror fan is going to even read a review before they go to the film, especially a, a franchise film of their iconic hero, Michael Myers. They don't care. So you're right. Uh, that 55 million is probably the low end. You know, we all know that by the time it hits October 15th, people are going to be chomping at the bit to go to Halloween parties. And part of that is going to a late night scary movie in the theaters. That's just that's what people do in October. That's why Venom's going to be so big throughout the whole month. That's why Halloween Kills is really going to kill it for three weekends, despite being on Peacock. So I don't know what everybody's so worried about. I think that they can coexist, even if it is slightly embarrassing for Universal and the filmmakers. They will probably uh, make a lot of money for Peacock in terms of subscribers. This is something Peacock needs. Again, I don't even know what they have. But now that I know that Halloween Kills is on there, I might check it out. Now, I, you know, I just might. And I think a lot of people will feel like that. Hey, they've mm -hmm. got something actually worth turning tuning into. And I, so I get it. I get why that happens. Um but outside, outside of those three films, when they go Venom, No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, and then you get to Dune. Guys, how much money is there going to be left over for Dune on October 22nd? I guess that's, that's really the big question, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the B.O. boys have been pretty low on this Dune uh, movie for a while. And it really isn't a potentially... I mean, there's two ways that this could go having all these big movies in a row. Is that by the time Dune opens on October 22nd, domestically people feel more than they have in, in over a year that the box office is back, the theater is back, that having Bond and Halloween and Venom come out three weeks in a row overall just puts people in the mood of... Let's go to the theaters. Theaters are back more than they've ever been. People who haven't been all summer, they start to go. Or it could be that there's just too many movies at the same time. And Dune is definitely the odd man out uh, mm -hmm. of those four. Uh, especially, you know, coming out October 22nd, Halloween Kills is going to be in its prime spot of being right into the Halloween uh, holiday lead-in. So... I mean, I would say Dune's going to open the lowest domestically of those four. And the question is, does it open to a? Is there a chance Dune opens at under $30 million? Which I think that is the the point where this movie gets the, gets the bad press on its opening weekend. Oh, man, I don't know. See, I'm so, I'm so confused on Dune because I just think it's a... IP that people just always want to make happen and it just never does. Right. And like part of me is thinking, are we finally ready for Dune or are we never going to be ready for Dune? I'm more in the camp of we're never going to be ready for Dune. We're just never going to mm -hmm. be ready for this. We're never going to be psyched about this truly. Although mm -hmm. is there a, is there a possibility that this is Chalamet's Titanic size hit? Of course, Titanic being huge, but in the sense of, truly making him a heartthrob for a generation. You know, I mean, he, it'll never do Titanic numbers because we're not at that point anymore. But is this going to be heartthrob city for him? But then, you you know, you see yeah. these previews and it's like he's in the sand and he's got stuff yeah. coming out of his nose and it's depressing and there's big penis worms and 
there's a thousand right. characters and and there's no and, way that this yeah. is going to resonate with young people the way that like something like Titanic did. And right. and it has nothing to do with Tremors. I just found out you guys. I mean, no, nope. I thought those worms critters. were part of the Tremors universe. And now I'm really upset. If no you Kevin nope. Bacon, if you put Chalamet in a Tremors reboot, that's a huge movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to see that like opening night. I'm sneaking into the to the studios and probably getting a rough cut of that one. Yeah, you're you're well, going to watch dailies. You're watching dailies. on. Yeah, that. Oh, I have dailies on that all over that. Um, but you got you guys are right. Like Dune is number four here. It just it, there's no way it could live up to the hype. Um, and the hype is, as we see now for the last two weekends, is that international box office. Right, boys? That is the only reason why we're talking about Dune right now is because it's doing international numbers. And that's exactly what Warner Brothers wanted. They saw what happened with a lot of their other films that they released over HBO Max this summer. And it didn't quite play out when you do an international release as long as as well as a uh, a pristine copy on HBO Max is available everywhere instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, Dune is something that costs them a lot of money. I've heard 165 million, but I bet it's closer to 200 million. And I bet that that budget for P&A is through the roof. This thing is not wow. cheap, you know, um, and, and, and I know they're obviously. Yeah, they want the Star Wars. They want uh, hell. They're even settled for a Star Trek series out of this but they're not going to get it not in the way that they they think they are because you're right it's it's this is hardcore adults only sci-fi and when has that ever been a huge hit you guys blade runner 2049 is one of the best films i've seen in the last 20 years and it only opened at 32 million it went on to do 259 million worldwide it's a great film i don't think anybody can deny it 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 is also r-rated um but that said you know no matter how good or how much you want people to like, like because Blade Runner is an acquired taste and Blade Runner 2049 kind of put it in. Hey, hey, we're going to make this for everybody. But turns out it's really not for everybody and it never was. And there's no way to make it for everybody. And that's how I feel about Dune is. Yeah. Yeah. Those things in the nose have always bothered me. They bothered me in the David Lynch version. I was like, we got to take those things out of their nose. First of all, mm-hmm. we got to figure this out, guys. We're in the we're from the future. We're from somewhere a long ways away. We don't need these things in our noses. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but aside from that, um, you know, Dune is always going to be a hard sell. You know, it, yes. Timothy Chalamet, Josh Brolin. Uh, look at that cast. I mean, it's amazing. Right. But it is not going to sell families on going to see this film. That is how you make sci-fi huge at the box office is you get the families involved. This is adults only. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the Blade Runner 2049, that's the, the best comp. And I guess with that as the comp, that movie opened, like you said, 32.7 million for its three day I kind of think Dune opens lower. I I do think Dune domestically is in a bad spot because you're going to have people who, who, you know, we've seen all summer. It's usually one movie that people are really going to at a time. And I think that's going to, you know, October is going to be different because you're going to have those three movies in a row open up. But I do think by the time Dune comes out, it's still going to be, people are going to want to see Halloween. They're still going to be catching up on Bond they're still going to be seeing Venom. And then in I two think, weeks, yeah. And in two weeks, Eternals opens. So this really only right. has 14 days to make any money. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that for the month of October, Dune is the very 
possible bomb in terms of big releases. I don't think anything else is in danger of bombing. I mean, Halloween Kills, I'm, I might be a little lower on it than you guys because I actually have Peacock and I understand how embarrassing it is that that movie will be on that station. You guys don't have it, so you're not fully aware of uh, the stain that that is on that movie. But that said, I think, yeah, Dune is the only thing in October that could possibly be i mean the other movie coming out the same week of dune is the last duel which is like a sort of big movie it's a ridley scott movie starring matt damon uh with uh ben affleck in it but i i feel like that is a movie that is just going to come and go and get lost in the shuffle well now pat i'm seeing october 15th for the last duel over the okay, that's yeah. the fifteenth. So it comes Halloween out the same kills. weekend as yeah. Halloween. Dune is okay. going up against Ron's Gone Wrong, which is a twentieth century studios film. I think okay. it's a kids film, I believe. Gotcha. And then they're so, gonna hit you with the the French dispatch as well. Searchlight. Search Disney's going gonna whap Dune with the Wes Anderson film and an animated film. <laughs> and, double, yeah. and double Chalamet. That because yeah. Chalamet's in French Dispatch, so he yeah. is competing against himself. Yeah, on purpose. You Disney does Disney does these things by design, man. Come on. Yeah. Uh French Dispatch feels like a movie that coming out of the festivals and the reviews is going to maybe be a lot smaller than we all thought it would have been before. You know, obviously it used to have a summer release back in 2020 before everything happened. And it, it this kind of feels like this is going to be minor, even in the, in the sense of like a limited release art yeah. house Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. It looks like they're platforming it and they're going to see what they get in the big cities uh, as mm. to whether or not they go super wide on this. I'm assuming. Um, yeah, before we drop off Dune, I, I just want to say one last thing about it. Um, I don't know if, did you guys read the Owen Gleiberman? He had a, uh, he's an American film critic. Most people may not know that. Worked for Entertainment Weekly, I believe, back in the day, but he had a variety column that came mm. out um, last night that was talking about Dune. And it, he was saying that in pre pandemic times, this should have opened at 175 to 250 million. Yes, that's the number, guys. That's domestic number. And he's saying then because of that, because of the pandemic and all that, it, it will probably open at 95 million domestic. This was last night, this morning. Wow. When I reread the article, someone had wow. edited it. And then now it said 50 million and 50 million would be a disappointment. And I'm just like, OK, first of all, what is this guy smoking? Yeah. What does this guy know about box office? Because wow. if it opened with 50 million, that would be a huge hit in my eyes. I would say, oh, wow, 50 million yes. for Dune. Yes. That is a great number, especially being on HBO Max and, you know, beating Blade Runner by 18 million. Yes, because I think that is the number we're talking about. And I think we should lay down a number for Dune, you guys. I know, Pat, you think it's going to open maybe even under 32. I'm going to put it like right at 37. Which is okay. which is a decent number, I think. It's not great. It's not fifty, but but I think we gotta lay down a dune number, you guys. I'm going twenty nine. I'm right now. I down. go twenty nine. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So okay, I, so so Jeff, where are you at? You said I, I'm thirty seven. Thirty seven. And Owen Gleiberman is at yeah, ninety five. He was million. at ninety five <laughs> until he got edited and then he went down to fifty. Okay. I'm gonna go I, somewhere I, between Pat and O and Owen. Okay. Okay. And, and I got to say, Owen Gleiberman, I am a child of Owen Gleiberman. Yes, okay. uh, read I, him you know, so I, much I, in EW. I grew, yep, grew up reading his reviews in, in EW. 
I read his reviews and movie reviews are a different beast than box office analysis. And I, I can't fault the man. They, they put him in an impossible spot. They asked him to do a box office analysis and it's just not what he was born and bred to do. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not even going to say he made himself look foolish because I'm not out here writing movie criticism. I'm analyzing box office and Owen got put in a bad spot. So, yeah, I, but the, the thing is, Variety should have known better. Like, there yeah. are so many other people working at Variety that, that this yep. story could have fallen to. So I don't know why Owen got to do... Again, we don't criticize the critics, but no. if they're out of their element, then maybe they, they should have known to just step back. Hey, guys, this isn't my bread and butter. Let's ask right. the B.O. boys what they think this thing will exactly. open with before I say 95 million opening... <laughs> Exactly. This is this debacle is on the editors of Variety. Obviously, they should have went to Jeff Bach. They should have went to the B.O. boys. Owen Gleiberman. He has that cachet, generational cachet from EW, but not the right guy for the job. So, Clayton, we vamped for you. What is your number for Dune's opening? Well, I'm going to vamp even further because I I sometimes feel like critics are like patrons at strip clubs where they're just throwing (laughs) money like they're just letting mm-hmm. it rain because that money to them is just funny money. We are the oh, yeah. ones mm-hmm. who pick that up off the ground and check and see whether it's real or if it's monopoly. You know what I'm saying? That's our mm-hmm. job. We pick that up off the floor and count it. So yep. in saying that, I'm going to go somewhere in between the two of you guys. And I'm going to go around. I'm going to go around 32. 32. OK, we got the numbers now. We got the numbers. They're locked in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the big thing is we all think this is going to be somewhat some level of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those numbers are in the end for for a production as big as it is. It's very underwhelming and they have to hope that whatever HBO Max does, if it gets them so many X amount of subscribers, that that has to be worth it to them to feed into the series that they plan and mm-hmm. to feed into the sequel. We already know what kind of business it's doing overseas. And, but this is an overseas sci-fi film. This is, this is a sci-fi film that obviously uh, intelligent audiences are going to appreciate. And that's why you can see it playing well in Europe. It'll be interesting to see how it plays uh, in the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big that's the big thing with this movie is they plan it as a franchise and it could end up not making enough to justify any more movies. You mm-hmm. know that this if this movie ends up under 100 million domestic in its cube, which is very possible based on what we're predicting, then it's really hard to justify that as a franchise. You know, we've seen movies kind of bomb domestically and then get sequels because of the overseas. We've seen, you know, Pacific Rim 2, that type of movie. But it's pretty rare, and those usually don't work out very well. So, you know, if Dune doesn't hit 100 domestic, this could be a non-starter franchise. So we'll we'll see. There is a lot riding on this. Um, all right, looking ahead before we leave October, any other... Uh, uh, things that you guys want to highlight that I'm, I didn't go over in terms of something that you think might overperform. You know, we've got Last Night in Soho, the new Edgar Wright movie opens on the 29th. Antlers, which is a long gestating horror movie from Searchlight, opens a few days before Halloween. I guess My the Hero one... Academia has a sequel. So a- anything that we think could be uh, uh, some kind of overperformer. I think the one thing maybe, um, you know, 
United Artists drops The Addams Family 2 that next this Friday, actually. It's right. going to be wide and on PVOD since some families don't show up. But from what we've seen, honestly, from like Paw Patrol and now uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog, Paramount just put that back on the schedule because, you know, these films are doing decent business. Not huge business, but decent enough. And we all know that first... I think the first Adams Family surprised a lot of people of how well it mm-hmm. did. Um, and again, we're talking about look what we're talking about. We're talking about the Adams Family in October. It's gonna play well for a month, mm-hmm. you know. So that film, uh, you know, by itself, and even though it's on PVOD, in fact, I think that's one case where it actually does help the film because it will make probably a sizable chunk of its money on that PVOD for the entire month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a good call by United Artists. Um, in, in keeping that franchise. And I know this is a, these are low budget films that they greenlight. I can't remember the exact budget on Adam's family. Maybe one of you guys knows, but I think it's like, it's under like 40 million. It might be even 30 million. They did the not first, spend a lot. The first one was 24 million. Yeah, okay, 24. So I can't imagine they spent much more on this one. Uh, they are going to make some bank. Uh, and, and probably we're going to see another 10 Adam's family f- films, guys. And you know what's Love it great? Or hate it. You know what's great about this is that it's PVOD. So you're making someone: Do I pay at the theater or do I pay at home? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not just yeah. or do I check out Peacock. It's you're saying: Do I buy this ticket or do I buy this movie? And I love that because you have to make your movies worth something. They have to be worth something. You have to make a decision whether or not to choose to purchase that specific movie when you put it on a streamer it just gets lost in a sea of content and it's it's a passive buy so it doesn't show the actual interest in something yeah the first so the the 2019 adams family that this is a sequel to in october 2019 that movie opened to 30 million dollars i mean we're not i can't imagine a world in which that happens this weekend but you know, you're right. I totally slept on this movie. This is a movie that's got a debut in double digits this weekend. You yes. know, it'll be above something like Paw Patrol. So, you know, this could make $15 million this weekend. You know, this could be a, this could be a, between that and Venom, this could be a hundred million dollars of new movies opening. Well, I'm going to go, uh, an Owen Gleiberman, and I'm going to say the many saints of Newark is going to make $90 million. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> that's I, awesome. I that's my call for that one. I guess you want to give out numbers for that one. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I haven't even thought about I think about the mini saints of Newark the way I, um, I, I think it was Alan Taylor saying that he was so pissed that it was going on to HBO Max. I'm like, what, what are you pissed at? The whole series was on HBO, the right. home box office, man. You're lucky that it's going to theaters at all. Yeah, um, right. I mean, this should be a Deadwood. This should be the Deadwood movie. This should, yes. you know, and that's the thing is like, but this is a thing, like we've said before, this movie should premiere in theaters for a yes. weekend. And then on Sunday, you can watch it on HBO Max. And you know yep. what you're going to get? You're going to get the same amount that you're going to get at the end of five weeks in yeah, those yeah, exactly. in that weekend. You're going to get the fans. The true fans are going to show up for Friday and Saturday, and they're going to go see that movie. You're absolutely right. The same way that, you know, Entourage, the movie. Remember guy, remember that that actually came out? Um, we that, saw it opening <laughs> night, Thursday night preview show. Yes. Times Square. Times Square. <laughs> true fans. It was, I mean, it was 
It was uh, us and two friends and then another group of four friends. And it was those were the only people in the theater. But how excited were you guys to see that? We were so incredibly excited. excited. Yeah, incredibly excited. And that's how most HBO fans will be about many saints of Newark. You know, Sopranos is is a legacy in terms of what HBO is. It's a big part of who they were and who they became um, while that series was on. but you're right. It, it's just such a strange bedfellow today to go up against Venom and Adam's family, too. Uh, it's just so much going on in this day and age, especially in the pandemic. Having three major releases um, with with this kind of IP is I, I think that's that's going to struggle because of it, not because it's on HBO Max, but because it's just it's you're just throwing it out there. If anything, it should have opened again this past weekend with Dear Evan Hansen uh, to mm-hmm, give it just yeah. a little more breathing room so people yeah. can talk about it. And, and yeah. this is a very, this is an argument for variable, variable pricing because you look at the many saints of Newark and then you look at Venom, let there be carnage. It's like, why is that? Why can't you look at that on your app and say, well, I could go see Venom, but that's 16 bucks and many saints is eight. So maybe I'll go see many saints. And then wait exactly. till Venom drops. Like it's one of those things. Like it, that's an idea that I think is, you know, it's really percolating in my mind now that you brought that up, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Many Saints is the type of movie I think that people would have fun haggling over, you know, and making their best offer. It sort of fits the vibe <laughs> that, you know, New York vibe of arguing over prices, of trying to get one over on someone. You know, the person who's maybe inclined to check out Many Saints in Newark, they're going to want to feel like, yeah, I got one over on that guy. Yeah. And I think that gives theater employees something else to do. You know, like they don't want to clean up bathrooms all the time. They want to they want to haggle with customers and you get you get some good hagglers in there and that could go on to a great career in politics after that. You know, you got to start somewhere. Yes. Yeah, you, I, I mean, I, I love this idea the, the the price haggling, the flexible price haggling is is such a great idea. And also these so, theater. But uh, and, and sorry, not to go off on this anymore, but I'm going to because, you know, these these kids who work at the theaters, they, they don't feel like they have any sort of real investment in what they're doing. A lot of them. But if they are there and they're making money for the company yeah. by haggling, by being the best person to say, no, I'm staying at 10. You're not getting me any lower. Then they can go to their bus and they can say, guess what? I got this dumb dumb to pay 10 <laughs> bucks to see the sixth week of Paw Patrol with its rug, his rug rat. <laughs> and the, mm-hmm. the, the boss will say, you know what? Great job. Keep doing it. It, it gives them an engagement and an investment that they didn't have. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd even go further as saying, hey, make you guys are just sitting around. Nothing's going on at the theater to the employees. Go make some signs. Tell them that the 830 show of Adam's Family 2 only has three people in it and take some signs out on the corner and start telling people five bucks, five yes. bucks. And you can go see this movie. Bark Do it. Yep. Do get, it. Yes. Bark yep. Yes. Yep. Get it. Get Give the it. sign. The sign twisters and the tossers. Get those guys yep. out there supporting it. You know, yep. go on the corners. Do what you got to do. But put them in Joker. Put them in Joker makeup with the spinning yes. sign. Yeah. You got to innovate. You guys, this is the time. 
Don't keep yeah. doing the same thing. Don't sell tickets the same way you've been selling tickets. That is the death of theatrical. Make yeah. it fun again. Let your employees dress up. Yes, do yes. all of these things that we love about the movies. And that's why fandom exists is because people love the movies so much. They want it to be the real life. Yep. Yep. If you could, if you could negotiate the price of your many saints of Newark ticket with a theater employee who is dressed in full, like gangster garb, you're going to be more, you know, do it, put some kind of like FaceTime app within the, you know, within your movie theaters, ticket buying app where I'm here and I could see that guy and he's playing the part of, of a, of a old timey mobster and we're haggling over the the price for the 8 p.m. showing. That's fun. That's yes. fun. And, yes. And you you throw some ads, put some ads in the app while you're haggling over prices, and so you're making money that way. It's it's there's just so much you could do here. This is so all much. about entertainment, guys. So let's have fun with it. That's how it should yeah. be, right? Yeah. When did it become such a corporate world to go into a theater and everybody's wearing a bow tie, you know, and yeah. and slacks? Come on, have right. some fun. Right. Yeah. You're right. Dress your employees up as Joker. That's always a, <laughs> yeah. a solution to any business problem. So looking ahead to November, I'm just going to rattle off some of the big wide releases and then we could go dig in. Of course, Marvel's Eternals is a November 5th. November 10th, we got Clifford the Big Red Dog, which is a day and date on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, you've got Belfast, which is that Kenneth Branagh Oscar play from Focus is coming out November 12th. November 19th has got two big ones. Ghostbusters Afterlife is finally, finally coming out. And then we also have King Richard, which is the Will Smith uh, uh, possible best actor Oscar play right there. That's going to be a big one. And then November 24th, I'm seeing House of Gucci, the other Ridley Scott movie, which is going to be a much bigger one than Last Duel. Encanto, which is, is that a Pixar movie or Walt Disney animation? It's just Disney, Disney animation. Um, and then a Resident Evil movie called Welcome to Raccoon City, which is not to be confused with Killer Raccoons 2, Dark Christmas in the Dark. Uh, <laughs> this is a different movie with Raccoon in the title. So looking at November, I mean, the big, I mean, actually, there's some question marks. I'll throw, let's start with these two. To me, the big two question marks are Eternals. Is this going to be any kind of drop for the MCU or is it just going to keep chugging along the way Shang-Chi did and Ghostbusters Afterlife finally coming out. I mean, I I'm so excited to see what the BO of that ends up being. So let's start with Eternals. Jeff, how are you feeling about this MCU movie? I mean, yes, it's, it's going to be different. We all know that. Um, we know who the director, Chloe, Obviously, she just won Best Picture, right? And now you have her yep. doing a Marvel film. So you're hoping to get that art house audience and everybody who's already in to see a Marvel movie. So I get what they're doing. Will it work? I, I'm not betting against Marvel. I've, I've tried it a couple times. It didn't pan out. I am, you know, this film is going to open huge the way that every Marvel movie has. Whether people like it or not, we'll figure that out on Monday morning. But that weekend it's going to be enormous. You know, um, I don't think it can get to 100 million. I'm not saying that it will. But if we saw 75 million for Shang-Chi and 80 million for Black Widow, I would expect that number to be very similar to to mm -hmm. what that to to what we're looking at. I know a lot of people, 
you know, are going to say, oh, maybe 50 or 60. But guess what? Every single time you bet against Marvel, guess what happens? It just you look foolish on Monday morning because it just does the same numbers that every other Marvel film does. Or if not that, it does even more. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of departure, but but this is a reset of the Marvel Universe. This is we're building up to the next Avengers film, folks. So they're going to be a little smaller than what we're used to. We're not going to see $100 million openings yet. That will come with the next Thor film, you know, uh, and the next Doctor Strange film. Those are the films that are going to hit 100. So if this opens anywhere in the same ballpark as Shang-Chi or Black Widow, I think it's going to be just fine. Plus, guess what, guys? It's going to play for two months straight at least. It's going mm. all the way to Christmas, and we know how lucrative that Christmas corridor is. It it just goes, you know, the box office goes crazy, right? That's just what it does. And this film will still be around getting in that into that crazy madness that is the Christmas corridor. So uh, all in all, you can I think you can only expect big things from Eternals. It's it's very interesting. I mean, I think the things that has going for it, other than just being an MCU movie, it, the release date, you know, that it's in a good spot where I think if this movie was opening in that October glut. And it was opening closer to Bond, Venom, and uh, Halloween. I would ha be more iffy on this. But when you look at that release date, it'll have had a few weeks since Dune opened. And we all think Dune is going to underperform. And then November is kind of weak mm -hmm. for the rest of November. So Eternals is just in a good spot where it's going to have the month to itself. And... Uh, I, I agree. It's so hard to bet against Marvel, but God, I, I saw this trailer again the other night when I went to Dear Evan Hansen and it is so dreary and so uh, not focused for a Marvel movie that usually even with Shang-Chi, a new character is very good about here is the new person that you're going to love. You know, maybe this is more of a Western or this is more of a comedy or this is more of a spy film. But in the end, the MCU movies always are good about, hey, you're going to love this new person or you already love this old person. And with Eternals, that trailer is just so unfocused. I don't know who the heroes are. I don't. There's no humor in it. There was I counted. There was one joke at the very end. Brian Tyree Henry has sort of a joke to end the trailer it is it's it's very dreary i mean if you were ever gonna bet against marvel this is the one to bet against because it is a big tonal departure so i don't know clayton what do you what do you think on this we saw that same trailer together before yeah. Dear Evan Hansen, and I, we both had a similar reaction similar i i do agree i do think it's dreary i do think it's gonna be Hard to root for characters that, uh, according to this this trailer, stood by during every atrocity that the uh, planet had dealt with. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, why didn't you do anything during this and during that? It's it's you know, it's one of those things where that's some sticky territory. We'll see if 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 Marvel can can stick the landing with that. But again, I actually agree with you guys that doesn't matter it doesn't matter what this movie is about it doesn't matter any of that because it's a marvel movie and the thing with this is that if shang chi would have underperformed mm -hmm. i would have gone lower on eternals 
that was the link in the chain that Mm -hmm. I thought was going to be weak. If that movie is not, if that movie did what it did, which it, you know, we know that it did that Eternals, I think is just going to open the same way. We have not had a Marvel movie underperform at any level so far. And other than maybe Black Widow, Black Widow is probably the one th- one movie that everybody thought could do better and didn't. But even that wasn't a disaster. So I have no reason to to think that Eternals is going to do anything less than, you know, something like Shang-Chi. I think I think it'll do a- around that maybe a, a bit more. Yeah, I think, you know, that 70 to 80 million range seems attainable for Eternals. And plus, guys. Clifford the Big Red Dog is the only competition, really, the next week. So that's just nothing. There's no competition. It's going to play out, like you said. Um, It's going to play out like Shang-Chi in in that way that it has all month, really. I mean, Ghostbusters Afterlife is really the only film that has, like, a really the same fan base. But, you know, two films can coexist for sure, even in this marketplace. We've seen that. We've seen that with Free Guy, you know, that, that... Free Guy kind of, well, Jungle Cruise led into Free Guy. They both did well. Um, and, and that can work. We've seen that work. You know, I think at the beginning, if we go back to the summer, we saw, well, one big film per month. That's what's working. And then as we got into the later summer, we saw, well, you know what? Two big films a month. That might be working. And and we would have seen that in September had they tried to open another big film. Mm-hmm. It would have done, like if Venom would have opened in mid-September, it would have done huge business to the same way that Shang-Chi did. Um, so I think as we get into November, cause we're going to see four big films, like we were talking about in October, we can certainly have enough room for Eternals and Ghostbusters afterlife to make Buku box office bucks, especially around Thanksgiving. We all know what a treat it is to, uh, go to like three or four films over that Thanksgiving break. Yeah. So Ghostbusters afterlife, I mean, to me, this is a movie that I think has to be good to be a hit. You know, uh, the Eternals, the reviews don't matter. We talked about something like Halloween. The reviews don't matter. I do think if Ghostbusters Afterlife is well-reviewed and 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 liked, it has a chance to do really well. But mm-hmm. a bad version of this movie, the IP is, we saw that with the uh, Answer the Call movie, a few years ago, if the movie is not well-reviewed, the IP of Ghostbusters is not nearly strong enough to make it a hit. So uh, to me, the quality of of Ghostbusters Afterlife is key. If there's a good movie, the IP is strong enough to get you in the door. But if it's bad, it's going to, it's going to be out of theaters in a couple of weeks. And and listen, people love to, I mean, claim to love Ghostbusters as an IP. What they really love is one movie, Mm -hmm. a cartoon series. They barely remember and a Halloween costume. That's what they mm-hmm. like. And they the, love the costume. They That's love the, the biggest part of the idea. Uh, guys, guys, let's not forget the high C, right? Yes. Like Ecto Cooler. Yes. yes. They also yeah. love the drink. Yeah. And so I don't think that any of that has to do with this film because it has uh, like the, uh, the only elements it has is maybe the costume. I don't even think that it has the car, which people do like. But, you know, you're 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 really diluting and it doesn't have New York City. So you're diluting some of the brand here. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just up in the air about this, too. It got a really good. It was shown, I think. When where was that? Was it at, at CinemaCon? Cin- CinemaCon. And people went nuts for it. But anybody will go nuts for a free movie. 
especially mm-hmm. a movie that's been sitting on the shelf for so long. So you can't really judge that as whether or not this is a great movie. I agree with Pat. I think it is going to be so contingent on whether or not this is a, you know, is this a Juno or is this a uh, Labor Day? Yeah. Yes. And People think, really, yeah. Yeah. People really wanted to like answer the call. I think, you know, it opened at 46 million domestic, but it only went on to do 128 million. And it was even worse internationally, only grossing 100 million. So 229 million was not exactly what Sony was looking for mm-hmm. in their female reboot, which is why they're going back. You know, they're go- they're going back to the core, you know, having Jason Reitman as director when when, you know, this, this, he was a kid on the set of the original. It's such a beautiful connection, right, mm-hmm. to the original IP and obviously playing with those characters, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray um, returning in, in some capacity, probably cameos. Uh, it's better than nothing, right? Um, and then Paul Rudd, who you just cannot not like that guy. He just mm-hmm. is so damn likable. Um, it's great to see him have a starring role in this. So, you know, that captures a big audience. And then having kids star in it as if it's Stranger Things, right? Because that's what they're doing. It's basically Ghostbusters, Stranger Things. Um, that's the market they want. That's what Sony is after. They want the next generation of Ghostbusters fans. They don't care about Pat or Clayton or me really right. anymore. They kind of want you there, but they don't need you there. They, they know we'll be there. Yeah, they know we'll be there. They don't have to right. get us to go. Right. They need to get the kids to go. That's why it's about kids. Um, and they want a trilogy out of this thing, bare minimum. Um, so it's probably the I'm most excited to see this film out of any other in November. But that's just because I can I've never to this day stopped listening to the Ghostbusters theme song. It all goes back to Ray Parker Jr. and that 45 that he cut. And man, it is Mm -hmm. it's still a jam, man. How can you not listen? It's like House of Pain. You know, it's once that that song goes on, you get up and dance because you can't not dance to it. Am I right? You have to jump around. Yes. You have to jump around. around No, I agree. Get up and get up and get down. Yeah. So. (laughs) <laughs> with with the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie, the thing I am looking forward to most is the press tour, is the press junkets, because you said this movie is about kids. It was starring kids, but it was starring kids when they were kids and they made this movie four years ago. <laughs> it's I'm very curious to see what everyone looks like on this press junket, because this movie has been on the shelf for a long time. And you've got a movie that stars Paul Rudd, who never ages. And Finn Wolfhard, who is in that age group where you can age really quickly in a short amount of time. So who will look younger at the press junket, Paul Rudd or Finn Wolfhard? <laughs> it, wouldn't uh, surpri- I- it wouldn't surprise me if they had a sequel in three months and we just don't know about it shot undercover, right? If this I does well. Th- I do hope that they made those plans. Yeah, because uh, this movie's been on the shelf for so long that if you make a sequel now, you may have to recast it so Finn Wolfhard <laughs> is playing the part Paul Rudd played and Paul Rudd is playing the Finn Wolfhard part. You know, well, they well, just They're all going to look like Ben Platt. <laughs> right. Uh, that's got to worry them. The reception to Ben Platt in Dear Evan Hansen probably shakes the the Sony people when it comes to advertising Ghostbusters Afterlife. There's, there's, there, there was definitely that conversation. What do we do if... Finn Wolfhard is is another Ben Platt. Well, because he's going to uh, Finn Wolfhard's going to be doing these press junkets and he's going to be like, yeah, go see my movie uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Right. You right. know, I mean, the main thing is he will look the right age in the movie itself because they did film it 
however many years ago. It's, yeah. It really is the press junket. He may he may have you may have to CGI him when you do the the press junket. <laughs> is he uh, going to look like Eddie footage. Furlong? You know, uh, five years after T two. Right. It's not right, a situation right. you want to be in. Right. But to you know, let's let's be honest. Eddie Furlong in T two. Come on, guys. It, it doesn't really get any better than that for teen oh. angst in an action right. film. Right. Yeah. Like that's what right. we I would expire to if I was a kid saying, man, I want to be as cool as Eddie Furlong was with that hair. He flip it over like that. Are you yep. kidding me? No. If Listen, if Finn Wolfhard is being compared to Eddie Furlong after this movie comes out, then I think what we have seen is Ghostbusters Afterlife did a really nice opening. Weekend. Yes, that, that'll that's be a, a great comparison. So that comes out the same day as King Richard, in which uh, uh, Will Smith is playing the father to the Williams sisters. It's a real life biopic. This is an interesting movie that I want to highlight because you look at the summer and you look at the movies that have been hits. It has, of course, been all big superhero franchise movies. It's been Marvel movies. It's been Disney stuff, stuff like F9. You know, we're predicting October. It's going to be Venom and Halloween and Bond. King Richard, is this our best chance at seeing a hit movie that is just a movie that is a drama is there a chance you know you got the buzz of this could be will smith winning an oscar this movie could get great reviews i'm not saying this is a a movie that opens at 40 million anything like that but could this be our biggest regular movie hit post-pandemic i mean it's it's a hbo max day and date it is. That's true. God, so I don't HBO think Max so. I think it's date. it's gonna do it's gonna do a little bit more than Cry Macho. I mean, this movie will make seven or eight million dollars. Oh. It's 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 gonna be little things. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, it's gonna get swallowed up. I agree with Clayton on this one. As wow. good as it looks, and it does look good. If it was made ten years ago, Will Smith that in that era when he was dropping. He was dropping these these dramas like The Pursuit of Happiness. Right. He'd drop anything like that over Thanksgiving and Christmas. And people just I mean, that's a hundred million dollar film. And that's right. what this was 10 years ago. But now from what we've seen and there's so much con- we know how much content is on streaming. Right. This feels like one of those straight for streaming movies about the Williams sisters, even though I it does the pedigree with Will Smith. And it, it just it. It takes it much higher. I agree with you. It's a great trailer. But I just think where we're at in society and how we typically deal with these types of films, uh, we're used to seeing them on streaming now. And that's probably what obviously it's it's HBO Max. And that's where most people are going to go see this. You know, they're going to go to Ghostbusters and then they're going to go watch King Richard at home on Saturday or Sunday, you know, and it's not until. But I think you're right. I think House of Gucci, though, is that one film when we that's the next weekend over Thanksgiving. That is the film with Lady Gaga, Jared Leto, uh, everybody else in Hollywood that's in that. This is Ridley Scott's film that that will actually succeed at the box office. And that is the adult drama that I think can do some serious business. Yeah, that's, Adam I mean, that is so buzzy right now. People love that trailer. And, you know, when you think of adult dramas that are hits, it's can this be in the wheelhouse of, you know, a Gone Girl or Lady Gaga Star is Born? Like, could this be a movie that, ends up putting together a 75 to $90 million run mm-hmm. domestically. It, it might be, it's got that star power. It's, it's got a, 
enough of a silliness to it that you know you'll you'll be able to get a wider audience. Yeah, this might be the one. This 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 could I, I would love for, to see this movie open at 18 million and then leg out to 70 or 80. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Well, can we real um, fast before we go on to December talk just a, mm-hmm. a second about Clifford the Big Red Dog cuz this was a film that okay. was pulled off the schedule because uh Paramount was not happy with the amount of families going to the theaters. Pulls it off. We think it's going to maybe move to next year. They just drop it November 10th. And, you know, this is a film that that's going to need some advertising. It's going to families are going to need to know that this is uh, is available and out. And we have, you know, our listener, our trusted listener, Austin, who sends us great emails. He, mm-hmm. he mentioned uh, Clifford, how it got just kind of dropped in November. And it's you're going to really have to mount some sort of promotional materials for this. And, you know, I was hearing good things that this tested really well. And now it feels like they're just kind of throwing it out there in the middle of November and it's going to be a day and date. So I'm just curious as to what your guys' take on Clifford is. Is this going to be a Paw Patrol? Is this going to be a boss baby back in business? You know, is it possible for this large dog to break out under these circumstances? And did Paramount make a mistake here? I think they made a mistake by pulling... um Jackass, you know, Jackass mm-hmm. was in a great position. It should have stayed there. That's the exact demographic that was still going to yep. the movies. And they just they kind of they pulled out Top Gun and they pulled that one out and they just pulled the rest of their slate out. And I, I just feel like after the seeing the box office returns, they're like, wait a minute, it's not dead. OK, we got to throw something back in there because we have to absolutely we have count them zero films for the rest of the year. Right. Like Paramount has nothing on their release calendar until Scream 5 in January. So they had to get back in the game. And I think the safest bet was always going to be Clifford because family films, as we know, especially over Thanksgiving, do well. It doesn't matter what it is. This could mm-hmm. be Beethoven's 15th film, you know, mm-hmm. and. For that matter, dog films do well, even better. You got a dog in it. Great. And it's gigantic. Oh, this is great. It's also a fantasy film. You know, I, I think there's a lot of upside for Paramount's film here. Um, and, and, and that said, even though Paramount has has done a lot of reshuffling of their deck in terms of executives, and this is basically on the old slate, um, this was always a film that I, I thought could perform well and sequelize pretty easily, you know, as long as they kept their budget uh, on the leash so to speak. They mm-hmm. needed this film, um, I think, to, to, to just to say, hey, Paramount's still representing films, guys. We're not just Paramount Plus, right? They're just reminding audiences and people that we still exist as something other than an online streaming entity. Um, so it was a necessary move. And I think anytime you're a film and you have the entire weekend to yourself, as far as big budget films, that's a good thing, right? Especially in the middle of the holiday. There were zero films there a second ago until Clifford moved mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, you're facing the second weekend of Eternals, but uh, there's always room for a family film when we get into this holiday corridor. Yeah, I mean, this is the spot that last year at the height of the pandemic, the war with grandpa, that late October <laughs> through November, it just cleaned up so uh, Clifford has the chance to be this year's war with grandpa, you know, to just be the movie that the families are going to, that the, it's getting the grandpas and grandmas out of the house, risking life and limb. I, I, I agree, but it, it's got a ceiling right now, or maybe not. Maybe this is the biggest 
kids movie that we've seen. Maybe it could be bigger than what Paw Patrol was, be bigger than Boss Baby. Because like you said, Clayton, this does have, it had a lot of positive buzz, you know? And that's why they so. pulled it initially. I mean, Paramount said that they, they didn't want to treat any movie differently. So that's why they pulled Jackass at the same time as, <laughs> as Top Gun, which was ridiculous. And we went into that and how ridiculous that actually truly is. And yeah. now they're just dropping this film. So not all movies are created equal, I guess. I mean, it's 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 all spin. But yeah, I, I feel like it's getting just thrown out there. And yeah, it'll do some business. But I, you know, if it was if it I've, Paramount just seems to not really know what they're doing at this point. And I, mm-hmm. they're the studio that I'm the most confused as to what direction they're moving in. I, right. I think, yeah, in terms of if we're going to place bets on which studio is folding in the next 10 years, I think we can all agree it's it's got out of the big ones. It's probably going to be Paramount. They mm-hmm. just they don't have the IP. They don't have the stability They're Now it looks like they're switching gears towards streaming because of the executives that they've hired. So uh, there's a lot of concern, I think. And and, and when is Tom Cruise going to retire? That probably is another reason why Paramount folds. Right. Or is right. he going to die making one of his one of his films? You know, because he always pushes the limits. Right. So it's Brian Robbins. Right. Who's taken over, who was a uh, director, uh, also did a lot of. Nickelodeon things, but also an actor in Head of the Class. And do you think that in anybody's dreams or like anybody would have thought that there there would be a point where Tom Cruise would come to one of the stars of Head of the Class into his (laughs) office and have a conversation about the future of his films? It just seems like a bizarro world that he's going to have to talk to this guy and and i mean he might go in there and scream at the guy and be like right. hey if you're gonna put maverick on on streaming we have a problem yeah but it's just so funny that this guy is now kind of his boss in a way it's it's just the curious way that hollywood can work yeah and the fact the fact that paramount is just bank they're still banking on hasbro films like transformers Oh. And G.I. Joe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I mean, how many times can you reboot an IP? You know, it is not going to turn magically turn into a VIP. I thought Bumblebee was a great little film, but audiences didn't really dig it. You know, mm-hmm. it just it didn't do Transformers business. And even Transformers isn't doing Transformers business anymore. Um, they're in trouble because they let Marvel slip through their hands. I mean, if you think of all the blunders of Hollywood, that would have to be, it's probably the top three blunders of all time. Yes. It may be, it may be even number one. If, if you really, if we're going to have a blunder show that, yeah. that has to be in consideration. They had it. It was in their wheelhouse. They also had DreamWorks animation. They let that go. They made so many bad mistakes. You can only make so many before you're not a studio anymore. Right. What a different world it is if Paramount had bought the rights to the MCU, had kept it, and they are still making Marvel movies. They're they're then in the position where they're up there with Disney and Warner Brothers. Yes. And instead, I agree. I don't I think they'll fold in the sense that they're gonna be sold to Apple or Netflix in the next five years. You know, it'll be Apple Paramount Plus, and they'll have the <laughs> Paramount catalog and they'll you know, they'll be the ones who get to say, subscribe to Apple, and eventually you'll see Tom Cruise die on film. <laughs> you know, that, they'll be the ones who get to say that. So looking into December, 
Um, you know, the big movies I'm seeing here are December 10th, West Side Story from Steven Spielberg. December 17th, Spider-Man No Way Home. December 3rd, the wide releases I'm seeing are a movie called Try Harder, Wolf, and then December 10th, Violence of Action. I, I will say Try Harder, Wolf, and Violence of Action. I'm not familiar with those. They're from Focus Features, STX. I don't know if, Jeff, those are anything that you've heard of that we should keep our eye on. Nobody will hear of those films after they open. Probably the day after they open, nobody will hear of those films. Let's just let's just be honest with what happens the first two weeks of December. Uh, outside of West Side Story, that is, I think that, you know, December, that first weekend of December is the worst place. If you have a bad, a film that you just don't trust at all, you put it there because it's right after the avalanche of Thanksgiving films, which continue to do well all the way through Christmas, right? So mm-hmm. you can just kind of mentally put those off your 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 calendar. Just take them off right now. You know, oh, let's go. Yeah, let's not even worry about, you know, what the violence of action is at this point. Let's just jump into West Side Story and and can it can it somehow can Spielberg's name, is that enough to turn the tide for the musicals because the musicals need a big hit, right? If we're going to continue to make these Hollywood works on trends, they Mm. need a hit. And I guess is West Side Story that, you know? It's such a beloved musical, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, again, I'm not the musical guy. The Ansel Algor situation, I think, is is not going to play a factor in this, I don't think. I think this movie is too big for that. And I don't I think this could be big. I think Spielberg doing a, a Broadway classic. I, I don't know. I mean, those songs are so mm-hmm. well known and huge. I, I think this will be a hit. It's just like at what level? Yeah, uh, I mean, because could Spielberg it be, has his oh, go for it. No, no, uh, no. I was going to say, could I mean, could this be like a like a, a 60 million dollar opening? That seems so high. I mean, the thing with Spielberg is he's been such a hit maker, even in this last decade or so, at a certain level. You know, people love his adult dramas with Tom Hanks, and they all open in 15, and you look, and it's like, wow, you know, uh, The Post has made 75 million domestic. So, like, Spielberg is still a hit maker. Yeah. Other than Ready Player One, which kind of, he felt besides the point on that one, he's not necessarily like opening movies at like 50 or 60, just based on his name anymore. But I mean, he might be the perfect director for West side story because the audience for this is going to be older and they're going to love that IP. They're going to love that. It's Spielberg. I think something to even keep in mind is we talked about Vax and Wax at the beginning of the summer when we're doing our summer movie preview. Now, you're, what you're going to have is you're going to be old and you're going to be boosted because the oldsters are getting their boosters these next few months. And listen, we don't know what the effects of these boosters are going to be, but one of the effects could be just a boost of energy, a boost of motivation. And the oldsters might get the booster just in time to really pump them up to go, not just feel safe, but to be excited and energetic and go to the theater. So the boosters is the X factor here. The boosters could get the oldsters out to West Side Story. 
Yeah, you got Spielberg, you got West Side Story. These are things that oldies know. The oldsters, mm -hmm. they love Spielberg. They love West Side Story. You put them together with a new mix of people and it just looks wonderful. The palette of this story is just so digestible. I mean, it just looks good. It just looks mm -hmm. like a classic Spielberg film. There's a certain, you know, it's it's the way Scorsese makes the film. Like only Scorsese makes a Scorsese film. Really, only Spielberg and, and J.J. Abrams, only because he copies from Spielberg's mm -hmm. playbook, makes a Spielberg film. Like it just has a classic. It's going to have a classic look to it. And there are so few that can do that and do that well. Um, I really do think, you know, you're right. It's not going to open at 60 million. But if it opens even close to what Ready Player One does, which I, I don't even know if it can do that. And that was 41 million. But somewhere in the even in the in the mid 20s and this thing will just play and play yep. and play. That's what I think is going to happen with West Side. That's why I think it's a great slot to put it at December 10th because it's just going to keep building. That audience is going to keep keep building, even though it's going to go up against some heavy hitters. I mean, Spider-Man No Way Home, probably the first hundred million dollar weekend that we'll have. Yeah. You know, and we all can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. Nightmare yeah. Alley. Nightmare Alley is probably going to, you know, it could be one of the front runners for best picture. Guillermo de Toro, uh, he's a master. He's a genius. It, it, again, one of those filmmakers who just makes a film that is is so sickly sweet and beautiful that you just want to live in that world, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I when I look at December schedule and I see all these big films by these big directors, um, how can you not be excited? You know, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson has, has Licorice Pizza coming out on Christmas Day. I mean... Yeah, the new Matrix film. I mean, you guys, this is so great that all these filmmakers, all these filmmakers that we love and we love to live in their worlds, they're all coming out with movies this fall and Christmas. And I can't think of a better way to resurrect the box office and the enthusiasm and the boost that we're all going to feel when we watch these films from these masters of cinema, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you just even saying that Spider-Man is going to make the $100 million dollars. I do think psychologically we need that before the year is up, before 2021 is in the books. Spider-Man making that hundred million is just going to make everyone breathe a big sigh of relief and feel, you know, not it's not all over yet, but that is a sense of normalcy. And, you know, Spider-Man, it would be fitting for Spider-Man No Way Home to be the one to do it because is Spider-Man the first hundred million dollar opening weekend? Oh, the man. original Spider-Man, yeah, I believe it made this, 114 or 117 and it was yeah. the, the first one. Right. right. And it was only it was only topped by uh uh Vinnie Chase and James Cameron's uh original Aquaman film. Yes. That's the one that broke the record <laughs> of Spider-Man. It hit I think 119.4 something like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh man. Um, yeah, you're right. How great is that? That's full circle. A real circle, you guys, yeah. that we can all get behind. Yeah. Um Spider-Man doing that number, you're right. I just, you feel so good going into 2022. No matter what happens with streaming and theatrical, you know, they can coexist. We all know that fandom is such a big part of all of our worlds. And, and you love to see the celebration of cinema, especially opening weekend. You know, drop it on streaming on Monday. It's okay. We can, yeah. the rest of the world can wait three days if they don't feel comfortable or don't want to go to movies anymore. That's fine. There's right. so many people, hundred million dollars worth of people that will go opening weekend. Yes. Um, so guys, before we go, any 
final thoughts that anyone has on the fall slate or just their feeling on the BO in general right now. I think we're all pretty positive. I feel like there was a lot of duds this summer, a lot of a lot of things we learned. And even through all the bombs, I'm going to say I feel pretty positive because I think for the most part, the stuff that bombed this summer was always meant to bomb. There were a lot of bad movies that studios were just getting off their shelves. And I don't think it's the bombs weren't a, a cause for concern. And I think the rays of light like Free Guy, like the MCU movies, like F9, I think what those showed is people still want to go to the theater and it's not going to go away. So that's where I'm at. Uh, let's go Clayton and then we'll end with Jeff. Clayton, any final thoughts on the summer, the fall, state of the movies? Well, I totally agree with you, Pat. And I think that is something that uh, I think we should all, all of us on this Zoom should pat ourselves on the back for, mm -hmm. which is really being the voice of reason, really explaining to people what you just described is that these films were not failing because of any other reason other than they weren't films people wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And that is important for people to know because a lot of times the sky was falling, the sky was falling, we had to say, no, the sky is not falling. People just don't want to see these films. And we also had surprise hits like Free Guy. The fact that something like Free Guy, which we thought was going to not do well, and, and to have that surprise hit and to have those holds shows that people are going out to the theater and they're seeing films that they want to see. And if we were in a situation where great films were bombing, that would be scary. But that's not the case. Right. That is not the case. When these films going forward, you will know if a film does not do well, it's because people didn't want to see it. And I think that's a great place to be. Yeah, that, that's the perfect place to be. And that's how we've always been in Hollywood. Good films will find a way to make money at the box office or wherever they're released. When we look at those six films this summer that made over $100 million, you're looking at Shang-Chi, Shang Black Widow, F9, Quiet Place Part 2, Jungle Cruise, and Free Guy. What do those all have in common? They are great adventures. They are films that audiences obviously rally behind because of their content. You know, they're fun movies. All of them are. And mm -hmm. and they are the class of the summer. And there's a reason they all grossed 100 million in a very tough marketplace is because just just like you said, Clayton, just just like you said, Pat, these are films that people want to see and will pay money to see whether that's on PVOD or in theaters. They will make money because, God damn it. These are pretty damn good films, you know, and Hollywood. Guess what, people? Hollywood's still making those. Yes, they're making a lot of bombs and you a lot of people are still fighting about Suicide Squad. That one blew all of us away. You know, the fact that that yeah. ended up with 55 million. But that's not all HBO Max's fault. You know, no. it, that is that is a combination of a lot of different things that were going on in that film, you know, that was different than the first Suicide Squad mm -hmm. and different from what audiences general audiences wanted fanboys mm -hmm. and fangirls i'm sure they love suicide squad but we're talking about general audiences and that's why when i look at those top six films from the summer general audiences will show their support for these films time and time again that's why this fall is going to be great when we talk about summer part two because that's what it's going to feel like i'm yes. telling you guys these next three months are going to be 
amazing for the box office. We're going to be having week to week discussions of how great the box office is. And that's a great way to head into 2022, no matter what happens. Streaming and theatrical can can certainly help prop each other up. And I think that a lot of studios and a lot of streamers are going to be working together in the future to make sure that happens. So don't worry, folks. Theaters aren't going anywhere. This is not Blockbuster. This is not Tower Records. Movies are a different breed. Love it. What a great way to end the show. So, Jeff, could you tell our listeners, tell the wannabe-o boys, wannabe-o girls, wannabe-o people, people, where they could find your work and be part of Exhibitor Relations Co.? You got to just jump on Twitter at any time at ERC Box Office. I'm up there every Sunday answering questions, having little box office wars, whatever you want to do. Let's have some fun and get out there on Twitter. And um, you can also email me at jeff at ercboxoffice.com if you don't want the whole world to see your argument or, you know, if you want to compliment and you don't want everybody to see that because that can be embarrassing sometimes, too. Right. You guys right. get that all the time. You know, well, that's wanna... why we always give out our email, of course, is yeah. the B.O. Boys podcast at gmail.com, you know, because you could find me on Twitter. And a lot of my Twitter is just uh, talking actually with uh, Jeff uh, uh, about <laughs> new releases. But you could email us there, the B.O. Boys podcast at gmail.com. If you want to compliment us, if you want to give us your insights the way a lot of our listeners do, such as Austin, great listener, gave us another uh, uh, great email this week on insights about uh this past weekend email us we'll talk about your emails and uh, we'll accept your compliments and guys i think we did it this was a supersized episode that couldn't have been one second shorter than it was no had to be two hours had to be yeah had to be so thank you so much jeff everyone follow exhibitor relations co and clayton i think we did it so until next time next time We'll smell you at the box office. Nailed it. Nailed it. As always, thank you guys.